0: Hey ladies, how you doing out there, you gangsters and you senior citizens of the world? I just want to let you know that I'm here. I'm starting my new podcast with Anchor. It's free, so I thought, why not give it a try? There's creation tools there that allow you to edit your own podcast right from your phone or computer. And Anchor will distribute my podcast, so it will be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more. You can also make money from your own podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, at home, during the coronavirus epidemic. This is where we're going to be. So, it's a mandatory call to action that we...
1: Take anchor. Now I live in my own home, free from that terrifying nursing home death sentence. My brain trouble started with not being able to remember why I walked into a room and got worse quickly as I aged. If you have even slight memory problems, please don't end up like me. You don't have to be sentenced to a lonely death in a nursing home like I was. There is a way you can protect your brain today. Stop worrying about your future. You deserve to take the time to watch as Jonathan explains how and why he created this miracle form. Well, when I got
2: to Vietnam, I I literally expected to be welcomed with open arms by the people of Vietnam. I had in my head the black and white newsreels I had seen on the Walter Cronkite. 20th century show of the American troops rolling through villages in France and being showered with wine and flowers and kisses. Um, and as we were driving down, uh, a guy from the battalion I was assigned to picked me up in a jeep at Da Nang, and we had to drive the 20 miles to where my battalion was located. And I, I really was. Uh, disappointed that there weren't people standing along the road waving to me and, you know, offering me flowers and things. I really expected to be greeted as, with open arms as a liberator, and it was, it was as though I was invisible, as though I didn't exist. Um, and that was a little perplexing. Moreover, it was, it was, uh, they looked funny, and they acted funny. I mean, just riding along in this Jeep the first day I got there. They lived in little straw huts and they had animals in their, in their backyards and uh, they weren't like us. They smelled bad. The whole country smelled bad. You could smell it. It, would, it hurt the nose. Um, and that was disturbing. And then I was there for about, on the third day I was there, this guy who had picked me up in the Jeep, uh, the corporal who I was ultimately going to replace, uh, he and I were in the battalion intelligence section. We were sent down to the uh, tractor park, the amphibious tractor park, to meet a bunch of detainees. It was our responsibility to take care of prisoners and detainees were a classification of civilians. They were not combatants. They were they were uh, they could be detained for questioning, which is how they were why they were called detainees. Um, and Jimmy and I went down there to the track park, and two tractors came in. They had a whole bunch of. Uh, Vietnamese up on top. High flat topped vehicles about eight or nine feet tall. And as the tracks wheeled into the park, uh, the Marines up on top immediately began uh, hurling these people off. They were bound hand and foot so that they had no way of breaking their falls. Um, and they were old men, women, children, no young men. And I I couldn't believe these guys were treating these people this way i i turned to jimmy and said i grabbed him by the arm and said what on the third day i was there this guy who had picked me up in the jeep
0: i'm sorry i had to uh, hear this again
2: a corporal who i was ultimately going to replace uh, he and i were in the battalion intelligence section we were sent down to the uh tractor park the amphibious tractor park to meet a bunch of detainees. It was our responsibility to take care of prisoners and detainees were a classification of civilians. They were not combatants. They were, they were, uh, they could be detained for questioning, which is how they were, why they were called detainees. Um, And Jimmy and I went down there to the track park and two tractors came in. They had a whole bunch of uh, Vietnamese up on top. High flat-topped vehicles about eight or nine feet tall. And as the tracks wheeled into the park, uh, the Marines up on top immediately began uh, hurling these people off. They were bound hand and foot so that they had no way of breaking their fall. Um, and they were old men, women, children, no young men. And I i couldn't believe these guys were treating these people this way. And I, I turned to Jimmy and said, I grabbed him by the arm, and said, what are are those guys doing? These aren't, these are, we're supposed to be helping these people. And Jimmy turned to me and he looked at my hands on his arm, I sort of took them off and he said, Earhart, you better keep your mouth shut until you know what's going on around here. And I think it was at that point that I realized things were not quite what I was expecting. Um, it went downhill from there, and again I can't even begin to explain in the space of time that you have uh, all of the things that went into it, but I began to understand, it became obvious that the enemy was the very people in these villages around us, and we were in a very heavily populated area at that time. They were the enemy, or at least the enemy was out there somewhere, and we couldn't tell one from another. And day after day, our patrols went out, uh, and we ran into snipers and mines, and snipers and mines, and snipers and mines. I saw four armed enemy soldiers the first eight months I was in Vietnam. And yet our battalion during that same period of time sustained... Seventy-five mining and sniping incidents per month. Over half of them resulting in casualties. This is for a unit of about a thousand men. But there was no one to fight back at. And you begin to think these people are the enemy. They're all the enemy. And then you go through villages and you know, you get sniped at and so you call an airstrike in on the village Whole village goes up or you go through a place and you search it and you burn houses and blow them up um, you know the common perception the notion I had when I was in high school was that it was the Viet Cong terrorized the Vietnamese population uh, forced them to fight against the Americans on the pain of death what I began to understand in Vietnam was that they didn't need to do things like that All they had to do was let a marine patrol go through a village. And whatever was left of that village, they had all the recruits that they needed. Um, I began to understand why the Vietnamese didn't greet me with open arms. Why they, in fact, hated me. But, of course, that didn't change the fact that that my friends were getting killed and injured every day. and, And the only place that you could focus your own anger and fear was on those civilians who were there. Uh, so it was this self-perpetuating mechanism. The longer that we stayed in Vietnam, the more Viet Cong there were. Because we created them, we produced them. Um, none of that distilled itself into the, the clear kind of expression that I'm presenting now. Um, what I began to understand within days, and which became patently clear within months, was that What was going on here was not what I had been told. What was going on here was nuts. And I wanted to get out. I knew if I were still alive on March the 5th, 1968, they'd stick me on an airplane at Da Nang. We used to call it the Freedom Bird. And I could fly away and forget the whole thing. Turned out not to be quite so easy to forget it, but that was the notion. And and certainly for my last eight, nine months in Vietnam, I ceased to think, I quite literally ceased to think about why I was there or what I was doing. The sole purpose for my being in Vietnam at that point was to stay alive until I could get out.
1: There is a huge fundraising deadline coming up for Senate Democrats and they need your help right now if they're going to meet it.
3: Every dollar you give from now until the official FEC deadline will be triple matched So we can flip the Senate and ditch Mitch. We're already so close towards meeting our goal, but we can't leave anything to
1: chance. Nate Silver's 538 confirms that Democrats can flip the Senate. But Mitch McConnell is outraising Democrats right now. So we urgently need grassroots supporters like you to help us reach this must-hit goal. Democrats
3: can take back the Senate. We're really doing well. But if we miss this goal, we won't be able
1: to do it. Please
3: donate right now
1: please chip in whatever you can to help flip the senate and defeat mitch mcconnell before the deadline and your gift will be triple matched
2: That is that you know, the kinds of questions that began to present themselves were just the questions themselves were ugly. And I didn't want to know the answers. It's, it's, like, it's like banging on a door. You knock on a door and the door opens slightly and behind that door it's dark and there's, and there's loud noises coming like there's like there's wild animals in there or something. And you peer into the darkness and you can't see what's there, but you can hear all this ugly stuff you want to step into that room? No way. You just sort of back out quietly, pull the door shut behind you, and walk away from it. And that's what was going on. Those que- the questions themselves were too ugly to even ask, let alone try to deal with the answers. Now, part of what was going on is that I could not have made sense of what I was seeing and doing in Vietnam because I did not have a full deck of cards. I needed to have an understanding of the political and historical realities that brought us to Vietnam before I could make sense of what I was seeing. I began to acquire the other cards in the deck during the three years or so after I got back from Vietnam. But while I was there, nothing made sense because I kept trying to, you know, play this game with. Twenty-seven cards instead of fifty-two cards, and it kept not coming out right, and I didn't know why. All I knew was that it was nuts. I mean, it became it became clear within three or four months that my reasons for being in Vietnam were were not clear. I mean, they, they, this notion of defending the people against these invaders from North Vietnam. Uh, the people hated me. The Vietnamese people hated me. And it was perfectly—that uh, was perfectly clear. I mean, the people didn't say good morning to you. People did <laughs> People hated me. Um, I know that other people's experience, some other people's experience was different, but uh, in my own experience, the Vietnamese people hated me, and I gave them every reason to hate me. I beat them. I sometimes killed them, I destroyed their houses, I destroyed their crops, I destroyed their fields, I destroyed their culture. Why in the hell should those people like me? And I could see that I was doing that. And I could see that nothing we were doing was having any impact on the war itself. You now the funny thing about Vietnam is that I, I was getting Time Magazine every week. It came in the mail. I could read about my war even as I sat in the middle of it. And I would read about what Lyndon Johnson would say and what McNamara would say and what Rusk would say, and I could look around and see that, uh uh-huh, I don't know what war they're talking about, but that's not what's going on here. We actually had an incident happen where one of our line companies uh, stumbled upon a, a fairly large uh, cache of uh, Viet Cong weapons and ammunition, and I read in the Stars and Stripes, the daily newspaper that we received, this, this little action actually made it into the papers, and we read that we had set the Viet Cong effort back by at least four months in our area. Within a week of that article appearing in the paper, within, within 10 days of the incident itself, the bridge, 150 meters in front of our battalion compound, was dropped by Viet Cong sappers. An Amtrak coming in from uh, the horseshoe area, from one of the line companies, uh, hit a 50-pound box mine, several men were killed, a bunch more were wounded. A patrol out of Phuc Croc Bridge was ambushed, several people were killed, several people were wounded. Nobody told the Viet Cong that they'd been set back for four months. And yet, this is what you're reading in the newspapers. This is what you're being told back in the United States. I could see that that the war went on day after day after day, interminably,
1: at the same pace, no matter what we did. There is a huge fundraising deadline coming up for Senate Democrats, and they need your help right now if they're going to meet it. Every dollar you give from now until the official FEC deadline
4: will be
3: triple matched so we can flip the Senate and ditch Mitch. We're already so close towards meeting our goal, but we can't leave anything to chance.
1: Nate Silver's 538 confirms that Democrats can flip the Senate. But Mitch McConnell is outraising Democrats right now. So we urgently need grassroots supporters like you to help us reach this must-hit goal. <laughs> Democrats can take back the Senate. We're really doing too well. much. But
3: if we miss our this goal, we won't be the able to can do
1: lie it. Too Please,
3: much. Donate right now.
1: Please chip in whatever you can to help flip the Senate and defeat Mitch McConnell before the deadline. And your gift will be triple matched. Liar. My dad used to come home drunk every day and help me.
0: My mom passed away from
1: giving birth to me and my dad hated me for it. By the time I was 16, I ran away from home and had to work three different jobs to pay rent.
2: wasting your film. No you're not. When I when I left Vietnam, uh, Prince of the Vietnam War, I was at the time I was I was in the midst of the never battle for Way City. February sixty
0: eight.
2: And I'd been up in the city for two and a half, three weeks. Um, and I knew that my day was, was coming, but I wasn't sure when and at that point we weren't thinking about things like that. Um, and we're in the middle of a, of a, a low-key firefight. We we're exchanging fire with uh, some guys across the street from us along the eastern, uh, the northeast section of, of Way City. Um, what was left of my unit, the scouts, uh, about six of us, and a jeep comes hauling up the street along the river and uh, whips into this little compound where we were and says, Earhart, your orders are in. Let's go. It's a lieutenant, my boss. And I uh, stood, I, well, I didn't exactly stand up, but uh, I immediately began to strip off my gear and distribute it to the other guys who were there and said, so long, see you back in the world. Got on a jeep last thing I saw, those guys were like out of covering prison. fire force, We burned our way back down the street. Uh, there was a chopper sitting on the LZ. I got on the bird. Was up 3,000 feet above Way City 10 minutes after.
0: So what happened when you got back home, out.
2: though? And uh, went through some processing. I ended up, they yanked me out early because my, one of my older brothers by this time had arrived in Vietnam. And they arranged for me to spend a couple of days with him. Because um, you were white. And I got back. Uh, I got back in early March. Was came in at night. Went through more processing. A place called Treasure Island in San Francisco Bay. And then uh, I was free to go. And I had. I was st- still at time in the Marines. I had a month's leave basically before I had to report to another duty station in North Carolina. And I got a taxi. And there I was first view of the United States and I was really, I could hardly wait.
0: Looking up in the sky and shit.
2: absolute impenetrable fog. Came across the Oakland Bay Bridge. Couldn't see 10 feet. Couldn't see anything. Um, Got to the airport. There was part of what affected my coming back. I was happy to be alive. I was excited but at the same time I was um, very ambivalent. I was I was afraid, partly because I had a girlfriend when I went over there. And uh, in September, eight months after I was there, I got a Dear John letter from her, and I kept hoping that I'd be able to fix this up once I got back. And uh, I did not know what kind... And that that woman, that girl, had become the focus of my life while I was in Vietnam. She had... She had ceased to be a real person. She'd become this icon. Um, and then, of course, she had sort of, you know, <laughs> said, take a hike. And, but you can't just let go of, of a vision like that, of the thing that has kept you going. Uh, so I was scared about all of that. I didn't know what I was going to find when I got back, finally got back to the East Coast.
1: Hi, it's Stacy Abrams there is a huge okay, fundraising bitch, deadline going.
0: so now that was a white man's point of view what he saw and what he did in the Vietnam, in the, excuse me in the vietnam war now let's see what the black man has to say
4: I up in the world. and then I faded to the bad
5: determined to get their share, even if it means turning to violence. Black soldiers who died in wars before were forgotten. Did you ever hear of black soldiers who fought the Indians for the pilgrims, who died at Valley Forge, who turned the tide of the Battle of New Orleans, who were massacred in the Civil War, who led Teddy Roosevelt up San Juan Hill, who drew the praise of France in World War I, and who commanded tanks for... George S. Patton. This is Wally Terry. For more than two years, I was in Vietnam with black soldiers of today. When they first came to Vietnam, they were anxious to prove themselves in the most integrated war in American history, sharing the leadership, sharing the foxholes, and sharing the plastic bags. Blacks account for only 11% of the American population, but in Vietnam, up to 22% of the dying Then the war soured. Black progress at home began to fade. The mood changed. Then came a second war. Black against white on a double battleground. Racial slurs. Confederate flags. Cross burnings. Knifings. Killings. The black soldiers you hear in this album are real. They were recorded in Vietnam. Their names are omitted and you will understand why. Their language and anger may frighten you or amuse you. You may not like what they say. You may not believe that the conditions they relate are real, but they are. And their anger is growing to bases and countries around the world, like here at Tenshaw, the Navy base in Da Nang. Times are changing.
6: The black man is not the only one who feels that this war shouldn't be going on. We don't have any business here. The reason why I think that we shouldn't be over here, simple reason is because we have a war going on back home, and we should first clean up our own backyard
2: before we try to clean up someone else.
6: I don't think we should be over here because it always was the black man fighting the yellow man for the white man, and it shows in cases where the white man is with the white man. Why didn't he drop the bomb on Germany when he was fighting Germany instead of dropping it on Japan? He don't drop anything that harmful on the people that consider the same as he is. So why should we be here fighting a war for him for him to profit off? And shit, the money we spending here could be helping our people back in the States in more ways than one. I volunteered to come over here. I came over here to get raided and get me some more dope. I give a heck about the Vietnamese any way or another. I can take them or leave them. So personally, I came over here for me. I didn't come over here for the United States. Nobody else. Just for me. When I get myself financially secured, get my degree, then I can help somebody
3: else. But till I do that, I'm gonna help me. I used to work over here at Ten Shot Gallery. Vietnamese women over there working for me now for me to say something to them it's just like talking to a brick wall but you know i say something to them and they'll go up and tell the man they'll cry to the man and the man you know he just acts as though i'm not even there yeah. the vietnamese will come first before you do you're supposed to be looking out for their pride now i'm an american serviceman I'm over here supposed to be fighting this war for him, helping him out and shit, you know. I'm just up there on a bullshit tip anyway.
4: Hell no, nah, I don't think this is a black man. <laughs> used to go over to the USS Tripoli. That's the uh, fucking ship. All the brothers on the ship had to get their hair cut, and if they didn't get their hair cut, we got put in the brig. And what they did, they when they called a brother with, a, with an afro, they just took him down to the brig and cut all his hair off and threw him in jail. And here was all, all, all these beasts walk around here with the hair looking like goddamn girls and we can't wear our hair motherfucking three inches long. The motherfucking regulation is three inches and most of the brothers can wear afro the hair don't be motherfucking two inches and why we gotta get our hair cut that's what I wanna know. What do you think of the black family? I think it's the best thing the Negro got going for because I'm a join of time I get get back there with a black man. Well, my home is in Michigan but I'm selling in Frisco so I'll be close to them. I ain't going no farther than Frisco, so I'd be there for every beating and every burning. After <laughs> sure, 12 months in NAM, I think I owe some to my people. To me, I think the Black Panthers is what we need as an equalizer. Man, that right to speak. Oh, my... oh, hey man, what the motherfuck you, Dixon? I don't be interrupting me, motherfucker. Wow, oh man, why can't I see my mother? Eat it. the mother, eat it. Take it, man. Uh, Take the thing, man.
6: I think the Black Panthers is what we need as an equalizer. The Beast got his KKK, plus he got his good points too. As far as the Black Panthers is concerned, it gives them something to fear, just as they've given us something to fear all these many years. Well, when the Panthers first started off, from what I understand, they was to keep the Beast from fucking over the people when they demonstrate. And the Hulk has made the Panthers as violent as they are. And I figure any time you got the fucking KKK, we've been kicking out people's ass and burning crosses and fucking over our people and then you start fighting force with force then the motherfuckers start hollering they got to become this inspiring whole bunch of shit like that but you know, see i think the panthers i would join them and i would help kill all these talking motherfuckers cause do unto him before he do it to you and that's what you fuck around on that's what they gonna do you're going get it else and he getting around to you and he say loot i mean just not the problem of loot he looted out fucking people from africa he brought us here to loot the fucking land from the indians and then work your motherfucking ass for nothing and now you start fighting back, striking back, kicking ass, and the man want to holler, you motherfuckers be nice, and a couple of times, to quit you from ride. Strictly, I go for riding, but I don't go for going to the store looting without no heat with you, because if the man shoot at you, you got to shoot at him back, because I ain't going to steal no $10 shirt and had the man shooting at me, but if I take a $10 shirt and the man shoot at me, I'm willing to shoot back at him and put some holes in his motherfucking ass, because you paying, you a taxpayer, and you paying this motherfucking salary, you don't pay him to shoot at your motherfucking ass, you paying him for protection, I got to go now, but before I want to say this, when you ask the question, you think the black man belongs over here? Well, for one reason, I think he do. The black man has to prove himself equal in every field. He got to be able to prove to himself that he can do what the white man can do. We got a bigger wall back home, sure, but you know you got to sacrifice to get anything. Yeah, but you Wait wait a minute, like I said, man, I'm not not talking about kissing no ass. I'm making a statement, man, about the... Sister, you got to prove yourself equal to everything. The black man today doesn't have to prove anything. We are a race of people. We have our culture, we have our background, our ancestors. Why associate at all with the beasts? We have nothing in common. Perhaps we can live with them, but we must live according to our origins. We were the first people here
5: civilization began in africa we want what is rightfully ours because of racism many blacks at tenshaw got more punishment more time in the stockade than did whites i talked to a black lawyer who spent a year defending them navy lieutenant owen higgs i think that as the military represents
4: in microcosm the society we live in black people today in the military from pfc through 05 represent the black movement in our country. Either they say, hell no, we won't go, or, yeah, I got to go, and I'm here. But I'm not gonna take no licks on me. I'm not gonna come 12,000 miles from home to be shit on by some girl in the EM club who's been hanging around with a bunch of southerners. She doesn't know me, and I don't know her. But she calls me a nigger. Why? Because somebody taught her. The young black people in this war in Vietnam now because they are the ones who represent a new generation. They are the ones who represent a new train of thought. They are the ones who ain't gonna take no more shit. They are the ones, you see. So I think they the
0: are the who ones who came home all fucked up. New
4: generation come way
0: from home they don't want to come along And now that I think about, they about it, take it was they probably to take because and the greatest and warriors and in that and war and were black. And so we had to destroy them all them that. White people didn't have had them coming home. Same white people in the military today. were in, in the military Somebody. in 1930 and
5: 1940, basically. What has changed, I think, is the black population in the military. Angered by Confederate flags flying over the battlefields, black Marines in Da Nang designed a flag of their own. Green for youth, red for the blood they shed, and black for Africa. I talked to them at their barracks, the little ghetto. In April of
3: 1968, the day after Martin Luther King died... There was a mass flag raising, and the flags that were flying were not American flags. They were not black power flags. They were Confederate flags. And they flew for approximately three days. Nobody said anything about it. Well, the brothers got together. When we presented this fact to the operation line, within, I would say, about four or five hours, these flags were down. Now, I don't know if it was a threat of our retaliation. Or the fact that uh, we made the presence of these Confederate flags known. Like if a man can walk right down the road and can't see a 15 by 20 foot flag flying
4: over the area in an open view. I think the man is lying and he shouldn't be over here in the first place. The first time I ever really peeped the beast was when I got to high school. I got thrown in a factory school. One the them brain factories Cause them motherfuckers Try to throw all this shit in their head He's supposed to come out a genius Or some shit <laughs> Yeah So what if I go to the Naval Academy If I go to Princeton, I go to Yale or Harvard over there I'm still a motherfucker, Black man I'm gonna look at Look at that up With his motherfuckers Who he think he is And shit like that You know what I mean You know My mom used to whip my ass To make me s You know what I mean I'm glad she did that You know Oh you yeah, This is what my old man tell me When I dropped out of college You know told him that I was going in the suck, he said, son, you aren't bulletproof, what are you fighting for, you know what I mean, <laughs> this motherfucker just leaped up and down on my ass, you know, but I faded wrong, you know, this this is my great mistake, you know, I'm, I'm almost been years after I got out of this motherfucker paying for it, you know, now I'm gonna have to regroup and retract and Still fast. What do you mean by that? What do I mean by that? The way he acts, his very nature is beastly. This man has been a beast all his life. His this shit has been in him from constantly fucking over people. He's got it down to a fine art. In the Philippines, um uh, the beast that went over there and told them that, that the brothers at midnight the brothers go tails and shit yeah. like that. Yeah. I remember when was in paris I had a drawing structure and this man would come right out and say, you're a nigger. There's only about three or four color guys in the platoon. Here, I sit down and talk to the, the white guys about the black man. Because I didn't smile at what he was saying. Lord, he hollered, you don't like a nigger, bitch. You don't like a nigger, bitch. When I first got here, I used to sit in the mess hall and just rap. And, just, and everybody heard me, you know. Next thing I know, this man's talking treason. That's what he said to me. Why should I have to go to child, sit at the same table, He with some beast to
6: say this nigga this, this nigga this? But I tell you, if one of them ever sit at
4: the table with me and break foul like that, he get my knife in his chest. You think there should be more brothers than as officers in the Green Berets? Yeah, that's right. right real brothers. Yeah. So depending on so real, real, real nature, real brothers. gonna help brother. Not yeah. yeah. no yeah. negroes, but some real black yeah. brothers. Integration, integration when the you like uh, the this It's this is the difference between integration and having the same, same privileges. I want yes. the same privileges. Just like the man said, Well, we going to let you eat in this uh, place right here, you know. You see you just well, 20 years ago, you couldn't. Now, look, you can eat here. Well, thanks a lot. Well, you know, let me say thank you a whole motherfucking lot. I really appreciate it. Now, how do you know that I really want to eat in the first motherfucking place? I grew up. In a community in South Baltimore called Cherry Hill, where 40,000 black people live. I'm going to tell you how flaky my brothers are. We had a councilman out there that's been trying to get elected for the last 10 years. (laughs) (laughs) A brother (laughs) been trying to get elected for the last 10 years. It ain't nothing but black people out there. And you know, this man can't even get elected. They rather elect this motherfucker named Friedel or Pulaski, somebody, you know. Wow, 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 wow. Yeah, you start so snatching high on high all these old flakes, you know. Come here, hey, Flake, and all these old T.T.s. You can't oh, get Tom up. terrific. Come here, Tom. <laughs> get them all in a circle, and all these old so-called Negroes and colored people, and you just say, "Come here, people." Uh, you can't call them brothers. You can't say. Brothers, because they haven't, they aren't in that frame of mind. They're not in that frame of mind. They have me mope up the first eye in the peep. They have even open that motherfucker up. Do you want intermarriage? Mm-hmm. No. For so what? Oh, what? Why don't I like interracial marriage? For one thing, I don't dig a beast bro because she's always fronting. Sisters front too, but they front in a different way. You. you know what I mean? They front in a different way. When they they front to get something. But a beast, back,
3: she's just fronting to be front. My sister knows what it is to be noticed. She's got to go out there. She's got to get that bleaching cream. she got to get that hair straightened. This, this is what it took five years ago to be noticed. She had to get that hair straight. She had to get that bleaching cream to get that skin a little bit lighter. You know, it don't work this way. The sister now, what's she doing back in the world? She ain't using that bleaching cream, though. And she puts that water on. She don't get that straightening cone. That straightening cone hit the garbage can three years ago. And that hair is just so beautiful. It is defiant. It stands up against the wind, the rain, the elements. It is out there, and it don't need nothing. It don't need nothing.
4: It just stands up there just as proud as can be. Going back to what you said about marrying a uh, great brother She don't know nothing about when you used to get out there on Saturday morning And, yeah, you know, do this little thing just to get your child, bro Or when you fade to the movies and whatnot And, uh you keep up and on, and, on and on, let's get this little nipple dime thing going so we can see who we'll to the movie. She don't know nothing about that, but she always had. She didn't have to go to no goddamn movie or skate skating rink, you know what I mean? Or don't know what it means to eat hot dogs every motherfucking Friday, you know what I mean? Knowing what you're going to have every day of the week, this was your meal, bro. She don't know nothing about that You don't share any common or mutual interests Whatsoever with her, you know You start talking about Well, this is the way I grew up So and so, I did so and so here and there and everywhere And I slid here and I faded there And I tipped on a piss She don't know nothing about You in a completely different world, bro if you got back home and ride Broke out, would you join it? Hell, Hell yeah. Why? Why? Tell you what Why did the, uh, just like, uh, this brother rapped the cherry point last year The chaplain tried to cool us down, style, brother So please don't start no shit Please (laughs) And then bro said Chaplain, you had your motherfucking Boston tea party Why can't we have our rights? Is there any difference? Check it Is there any difference?
0: And with that, I'm gonna end Wow The most prolific thing I've heard in a minute You had your Boston Tea Party Why can't they have our right? Oh my God